Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Goo, the CTO at Portworks, and we discuss why experts in a field are susceptible to developing tunnel vision, the impact leading by example has on a culture, and how to get your team to view problems through the eyes of an entrepreneur. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Do you run a lot? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, that's my uh, mental, you know, this escape too. I, I love running. Where are you located? I'm in Florida. Florida. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of good. I, I know a lot of people that do ultra marathons from there. One of one of my colleagues, um, his name is Matt Mahoney. He's an ultra marathoner, and uh, mm-hmm. um, I forget where exactly in Florida, but uh, there's a. Um, he organizes a couple of uh, running camps all around Florida. Oh, cool. And where are you at? I'm based in California. Like what part? Uh, Northern California. So just a little bit south of the San Francisco. So, you know, the Mountain View, Palo Alto area. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I go out there quite a bit. There's, um, well, like all the cool companies are out there. <laughs> There's a one particular, last time I was out there a few months ago, I went to Nightscope. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I've heard of Nightscope, yeah. Those are like R2-D2 looking yeah, things. They, they make those ro- robots that um, roam the malls. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It is. By the way, this is the podcast. There's no intro. It's oh. like, this is it, man. It's just you and me. <laughs> it's good. Free-flowing is fantastic. Yeah. So so have you ever actually touched one of the, the robots? Well, um, n- no. Uh, I think, so, you know, when they have the robots roaming the malls, they, they have a warning sign on it that don't touch. Uh, so, you know, but you, you can go up and have a dialogue with it and um, ask it directions. And that's helpful. But, you know, if you, if you got to go meet the company Nightscope, I'm sure you had behind the scenes uh, access to the robots. I did. I got to go to their production facility and they were telling us that when they first released the robots, like people would take selfies with them and kiss them and get lipstick on them. And that's why they say like, don't touch the robots now. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the amount of um, AI that's, uh, you know, the focus on AI recently has just increased. And so, you know, it's great to see these robots roaming around in our lifetime. And it's just increasing, you know, how much investment the industry is putting into AI and automation around just human life improvement. Are you guys using AI at your company? We do. Um, so, you know, our part of our goal is to automate uh, infrastructure, right? So, you know, again, AI is a very broad term, but it's uh, in, in the sense that it's about bringing in human intelligence into software such that it can, um, you know, automate a what what a person used to do, especially things that are very manual and mundane. You know, that sort of intelligence is happening in uh, I think all parts of the enterprise stack. Certainly, we're doing it too. So, you know, there's certain common storage-related operations that people do, and there's a set of patterns that emerge. Um, when you keep doing something repetitively and especially you see a pattern emerging across different enterprises doing the same thing. And so there's no reason why it has to be done by a human operator. And so you learn from that and um, you put that intelligence into the software because you, you at this point you have enough data pointers out there um, that you know how to recognize a pattern and you know what a human operator would do in terms of uh, a response to that. You know, certainly Nightscope and other companies that you're talking to are at the forefront of this because they're... Um, in addition to automating, you know, intelligence and software, they have to create the mechanical elements associated with that, right? 
But again, yeah, in enterprise software, there is a lot of AI going into modern enterprise um, software. So, so what what inspired you to to found this company? Uh, you know, I've been in enterprise software for a very long time, and um, you know, there uh, again, as every industry matures, um, people sort of um, do things better, right? It, it's not just in software, it happens with every industry. And so, you know, over the past 40, 50 years, there's a lot of maturity that's happened in the software industry. And so um, I'll get to your uh, answer, but, it, it, you know, just to give you some background, as a software industry, we have designed or we no longer write monolithic code anymore. So it's, you know, we've kind of uh, settled on a sensible way for building composable enterprise architecture. So these are based on services. It's more object-oriented. It's not like a monolithic stack that um, that we keep building as, you know, repetitive blocks. So modern software is um, inherently distributed, service-oriented. There's a notion of advertising what type of services a component can offer. And uh, so you kind of build software more in a modular way. And so this notion of Linux containers um, really took off and people found containers as a much more superior way to package and manage their application development compared to a machine-centric approach. And so what compelled us to get into this space is if you look at this modern way of building um, uh, software and you know we kind of now call it a cloud-native um, way of building software, there was no good storage solution that was uh, built for this. And people were really trying to take existing monolithic storage technologies and try and they tried to make it work with cloud-native software architectures and things didn't really work out. And so every time, um, every once in a while, there's a disruptive enough technology like Linux containers, you need to redo the uh, infrastructure stack to support it natively. And so... Um, yeah, we just jumped in and said, um, let's tackle that problem. We, we talked to a lot of customers and got a lot of feedback from them. And we saw the common uh, pain points that uh, these guys were going through. And we said that there's a common way to solve this problem. Let's go solve it. I love it. That's like the my favorite type of businesses. Because <laughs> they get the biggest and they grow the fastest. It's like if you're, sol- if you're bringing value to somebody, that's, how, that's why we have money to exchange for value. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's about finding a common pain point and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, something, um, you start with a small enough pain point and you realize that as you work with these customers, um, that there's more to it. And it's like, you know, just, um, you're unwrapping something and then the customers will help you actually define the product, right? Especially if it's something painful enough for them, they will give you enough signals that will tell you exactly how to build this. And so ultimately, your customers become your best product managers, right? <laughs> they give you the exact in how something needs to be done because, and the other thing is, you know, as any industry matures, uh, back to my earlier point, common set of patterns emerge. And if you talk to 10 different customers, it's not like they're doing 10 different things. If they're solving the same kind of problem. So you solve the problem for one customer and that same solution will invariably, within the 90% mark, work for other customers too. And it's to take that core of what you did for one customer and then productize it. And, and, I, I, and I think to be a successful company or to be a successful, I guess, um, um, leader in a company, you really have to understand exactly what is the common element that um, you're building 
uh, uh, and and how does that um, solve the problem for one customer, and is it um, repeatable to other customers too? And it's not about building a lot; it's it's about identifying just a few main pain points and getting that value proposition really, really right. I don't even know what to say. It's like so beautiful. <laughs> it's like exa- it's like exactly what I want, what I agree with, and and what you experience as you're going through it. It's like, yeah, your customers dictate your pipeline. Yeah, and as a small company, right, um, you know, you really can't, you know, this, obviously this term doesn't make sense, but you can't focus on everything, right? You have, to, you have to pick just a few really important things that you're going to solve and do that really, really well. And, you know, a lot of times people will ask you, I think, um, especially when you're starting out to, to building net new technologies and, and building a company. And certainly we got asked this too. These questions come from anywhere from investors to other people in the industry and analysts. And they say, well, isn't what you're doing something similar to what all these other companies do? And how is that different? And you know what the, the, the what I realized is it's that it's the small things that differentiate you that to everybody else in the industry looks like it's the same, but it's not. Right. I mean, you can describe um, a Ferrari um, or or some other car. Not to pick a, pick on a car, but uh, pick your uh, non Ferrari brand. <laughs> you know, the car description. If I say it has four wheels and a steering wheel, and and it and it, you know goes from point A to point B, they all sound the same, but they're not the same cars, right? They're very different, and it's the small things that differentiate you. And it's about finding those um, small differentiating factors that you know are actually meaningful to the end user, to the customer, and then really um, flushing that through and uh, doubling down on that. I think that's what makes it different. So you can be like, uh, you know, two or three degrees differentiated from a different product. But over time, if you keep that trajectory, your difference between where somebody else is and where you are is very, very different. So my point is you can start with the same idea and just have a few small degrees of difference between you and your competitor. And if you just really focus on what those things are, what, why are you slightly differentiated and just keep doing that better, you're going to end up building a, a, a very different product from your competitor. And if you focused on keeping those two or three degrees exactly what the customer wanted, then you're going to build a successfully uh, differentiated product. Does that make sense? Yeah, does it make sense? Yes, I'm a huge fan. I like, <laughs> I like you a lot. So I usually like I talk to a lot of people. Rarely do they say the things that are like exactly on my mind. One thing I one thing I want to add to strengthen your point is like I was thinking a lot about why. Like, why is that working? You know, as it as it compounds and you do those small things with like a high level of quality. And one of the things I picked up recently is that it'll attract people who are attracted to quality, and so you get a better customers you get you actually will attract better customers by building a better product absolutely it, what you said around um that the quality is uh what what i really like to focus on too right it's it, i think you know it's about it's about putting yourself in the customer's shoes as well right again if you look at the some of the best products that are out there that are built i mean certainly the iphone is one of them again i you know i use the ferrari as an example the people that build these products, they're not building it actually just because somebody else is going to use it. They like the product themselves genuinely. They like to use it. And so um, it, it, it's about the user experience, right? And so we at Portworks, I certainly try and, um, you know, um, talk about that inside the company too. And it's really about um, let's focus on 
or the user experience, for example. Let's take that as an example. Um, you know, where I talked about being my, uh, slightly differentiated from your competitors, we are differentiated. One of the areas we're differentiated is around the user experience. Everything from how the product installs itself to how uh, it makes it easy for somebody to consume the storage services we provide. We really think about it from a consumer perspective. And we put ourselves in the customer's shoes and say, you know, could I have made that a little bit better? And so it may sound like a small difference, but over time, if you keep uh, focusing on that as a differentiator, you end up building a product that has a much better user experience compared to your competitors. And that alone would be a reason why somebody would go with a product that, you know, for example, in this case, Portworx makes versus somebody else uh, has made. So you have to, again, when you're building a product, you have to pick the, you know, the small little things that you think you're going to differentiate yourself from other products with and really only focus on that and not not, it's not 10 things. It really is maybe two or three things. And you just, um, that would be the reason why somebody's going to buy you versus something else. And it's a dis yeah. And the discipline to stick with those and refine them. And, and yeah, exactly. You have to have the discipline to stick with those and hopefully you chose the, the, the right differences, right? Because, um, obviously if you pick the wrong one and then you stick behind it, you know, you're not going to get uh, far, but yeah, if you, for, for, for me, you know, what has worked is when you're starting out building a new fit, and, and again, it's not even just a new product, where we're building out a new feature set, we listen a lot to um, our customers. Um, you know, you, again, if you've been in an industry long enough, you know enough people where you could go in and ask them, and it really is about measuring 10 times before you cut once, because again, it goes back to you're going to only pick the two or three things and really double down on that. So before you pick those two or three things, kind of role play it with your customers and, and have a dialogue with them and say, you know, if this kind of worked this way, how would it be? And, and you'll see the excitement in their face or they'll tell you right away, you know, it's kind of interesting, but not really that great. And so, you know, not all, not all ideas are going to be good, but just to, the, the better you can describe what you're going to set out the build, that's, that also is very important. You have to be able to articulate what it is you're going to build and describe it to the end user correctly as if you had already built it because then they'll give you feedback on this thing that doesn't really exist. So you're, you're going to describe it really, really well and, and tell them exactly how it's going to work. That part is really important. You have to be a really efficient communicator and really listen to their signals because sometimes they'll just say, yeah, it's interesting just to end the conversation, but you have to make sure that it's, uh, you know, they're genuinely interested in the idea. And then you um, try that out and refine that with a couple of other people and you pick out those uh, two or three things that you think are resonating and are differentiating your product from your competitors. And that's what you go out and build. I love it. And I, I like how you mentioned the importance of volume with, you know, measure 10 times, cut once. So before I did this podcast, before all of that, I was just, you know, engineering, engineering leader. I would operate primarily with inside of my own company. And it wasn't until I started talking to a large volume of people that I realized that if you go talk to 10 people, like they're going to pretty much all say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there's, there, you know, there's, there will be some sort of consistency and, and, and especially in a mature enough industry, certainly where enterprise software is now, you know, uh, if you, for example, talk to 10 banks, it's not like they're all doing 10 different things, right? So they're all focused on the same um, um, 
solving the same type of problems, whether it's fraud detection, for example. And so there's a certain set of tools that they would choose to solve that problem. Um, and it's, it's a common workflow that these 10 different banks are putting together. And you sit and understand what that workflow is like, what, what are the pain points that they're solving, and what part of that can you um, automate in your stack? And you have that dialogue with them and you say, if, I, if, if, the, if our software did this, uh, solved this part of the problem, how big of a point is it? Does it really work for you? And they'll help you and they'll work with you and say, yes, it needs to do that. And in addition, it, it needs to do this. And so you tinker with that idea for a while and then you come back and you start, um, you know, phasing in the features very in a minimalistic way, right? You incrementally make your product better. Again, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to solve 10 uh, different things and, you know, certainly in a, in a release or in, you know, in, in a single iteration of uh, making your product better. So I woke up in the middle of the night, like the other night, and the thought that was in my head, like as I woke up in the middle of the night was, it's so interesting how Netflix rolls out their updates in such a subtle manner that like you never really realize that it's like, they make such small improvements. And so I don't know, first of all, this is very strange. This doesn't normally happen to me. I don't normally wake up in the middle and I think about products. But I was curious, like, I you know, wondered if there was any sort of knowledge out there on their methodology about how they slow roll updates to such a lot, like UI updates, such a large population to where it constantly improves, but it's never like a huge swing. Like it's never jolting where you don't know where something is. That's a, that's a great point, right? And I think uh, Netflix certainly does this. Um, I think um, Google does this with some of their products too, you know, Gmail and, and so on and so forth. And, and again, you know, you look at something like, um, uh, you, you brought up Netflix and I'm, I'm a big fan on how they uh, roll their updates out too. And it, it, again, you know, online streaming certainly wasn't invented by Netflix, but uh, why are they the leader in this? And it really is because they focused on um, just a few simple um, aspects on, um, on just whether it's the user experience, certainly back then they didn't even have the content, right? They, they, um, they were not the content kings. Now they have content. Yeah, the way in which they roll their updates, the way in which they make their user uh, interface uh, consumable, all the way from uh, being able to search for movies on, on the web and then adding it to your queue and then it just appearing um, on any device that you actually want to watch it on. These are all very small things. If you think about it in the grand scheme of things, any software developer can certainly build features like that. But how they phase those features in, keep, I think, their customers locked to them as opposed to going to um, somebody else that has similar technology. Um, again, it's that micro differentiation, right? If I if I had to describe Netflix versus uh, your favorite uh, online streaming service, Amazon if, Prime. Yeah, if you had to describe it at a ten thousand foot level, they sound the same, but they're not the same. They're taking content aside for a second, and that's a big differentiator. But you know, yeah. just, um, assuming the content were uh, a neutral thing, they, these two products are very very different. They're consumed in a very different way. Netflix, I think, is clearly uh, way ahead. Yeah, I, I like, I honest, I like them both. I got, I, I let it get off topic there. <laughs> we should not have gone down that rabbit hole, but that's the, that's the beauty of it. Um, when you were a kid, what was the first interaction you had with technology? How did you find out that you liked it? Oh, um, yeah. It, it, so I started with computers like really, really long time ago. Um, the, 
it's, you know, certainly well-programmed on Ataris and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think I, you know, a couple of my, um, friends from my neighborhood who were slightly older than myself or had computers and, you know, I would go to their house and use their machines and start learning how to write code, started out in basic. And I think I really enjoyed making another machine do something, you know, that I can do. And then I started um, uh, trying to think about how I can make a machine do something better than what I can do. And so I've always liked to play chess. I think I'm okay at it. And, uh, you know, back then, um, you know, I, I started to think about if I could make uh, the machine beat me at chess. And so I started to think about how to write uh, an algorithm like that. And so I don't know if you, you know, so just, we've all studied AI in school and I hadn't, and this was before I even got into computer science, right? Formally, I, I didn't start my computer science education. I, I'm trying, trying to date myself. I think I was probably in the 10th grade at this point. And I, at this point, I'm trying to think about how to make um, the machine um, beat me in chess. Um, so you have to then, when you're trying to write this algorithm out, um, the chessboard uh, essentially uh, becomes a state, right? And so you have different pawns and you have weights that you have to think about having weights to the pawns first. And so that's the first concept that, that, that uh, came to my mind. Clearly what I'm describing is very, very simple code now, but I'm just think about this when I'm in, in eighth grade. So I started to think about how to say, okay, Pawns have a certain weight. Um, you know, obviously, the queen has a much higher weight. The king has the highest weight. But now I'm going to make a move, and now the computer has to make a different move. But does it just take an arbitrary move? And how does that work out? No, the computer needs to anticipate or think about if it made move A, what are the consequences of that? Because I will not now make another move. So you start building out this tree. And essentially, at every level, you give um, a score. And so the algorithm I kind of came up with, I later on found out actually had a name and it was called the Minimax algorithm. So we're all familiar with that, right? But I was really happy that I had invented something that other people actually wrote about. And I read about the Minimax algorithm formally when I started my uh, computer science later on. And um, eventually the computer, when as I wrote it, couldn't ever beat me because I ran into this thing called combinatorial explosion, right? So I wasn't smart on how to prune the graphs in the decision-making tree. And so the computer could only go four or five levels deep. Uh, and the human brain thinks a lot deeper than that. So I was always able to beat it, but um, that same basis of the algorithm could have been made to work. To answer your question, like I was have always been fascinated with making the computer do something that I couldn't do. Yeah, and I just kind of uh, stuck with that and later on. So AI has certainly always been a part of everything that I've ever worked on, but it's about not like night scope, but it's about bringing AI into enterprise software and making enterprise software a lot better. Yeah, dude, I, I like you a lot, man. This is really cool. I like the way you think. That's, that's, that's like really smart how you were working on that and you were just following like the logic of what you needed it to do and just kind of like explore feeling out the idea and then finding out later as you enter college that this is like a, a whole area of study and this person has a name on it and that's pretty cool isn't it yeah and you know again it's it's software writing software for me is it's it's a it's a hobby like i, I don't know what i would do if um um you know i weren't working in the software industry <laughs> like i i just really like 
you know, it's for me, it's like tinkering. It's um, I'm not I'm not a handy person in the sense when it comes to mechanical uh, uh, things. I'm not really good with a soldering iron or so. This is it. This is the way I can create things, and uh, I think everybody likes the notion of creating something, right? I do, at least the people that I'm around. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the idea of building something. I like the idea of contributing. Like after you build something, you're like, that's a lot of energy and that's fun. But then you start thinking about how there's other people around and you can contribute to them and then you can build things that can contribute to them. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's rewarding. Yeah, building something and then seeing other people use it, right? Um, so your point about contributing and, and saying, yeah, you, know, you did something and this is part of a bigger machine too, right? Or a bigger project. And that's certainly the case even here at Portworx, operate as if they are in the cloud, even if they're not actually in the cloud. So the notion of the cloud native stack has many layers, of which Portworx is just one of the layers. Um, you know, the orchestration part, um, there's, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but the Kubernetes project from Google, that's, that's what all of this is about, right? So people are really embracing the Kubernetes way of running their cloud native applications, and we complement that. And... Uh, it's about contributing to that stack so that overall the stack is um, meaningful and solves a big enough problem for the customer. So we get some questions from the audience. And so is that okay if I ask you some of those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So alliances with like key leaders in the organization. Obviously, you're the founder, but you have management level below you. Real quick, some context. How many people do you have at the company? About, if you can say. Um, we're about uh, 90 people now. Okay, so you have a couple of layers. Yeah, we, we definitely have a couple of layers. Uh, we try and keep it flat. We, um, you know, hopefully this is um, this answers the question to whoever asked it, but as a company, we've generally always been flat. Um, that, that scales to a point, and I get it that it doesn't really scale when you get to over a few hundred uh, folks, but overall, I think you still want to, from the top down, instill that... Um, that, uh, that there's not too many layers. You don't want it to feel like it's too many layers. I think people want transparency. And the more the, the more layers there are, the less transparent decision-making becomes. And that's never good. Um, there's absolutely no reason why um, uh, from the top down, information shouldn't be communicated about even the line of business that the person may not be in. And so, you know, when it comes to things like finances and how are our sales doing and uh, what are people doing in marketing, all of this information is disseminated really in a flat way throughout the organization in the sense that um, you could talk to an engineer and they know what our, sale, our quarter is looking like, what our customers are doing, um, and why is that important for them? It's not directly relevant to their job, but I think it is, right? It's um, because they will take that information and somehow the relevant information will make it into whatever they're working on, even if they're writing uh, code in a certain component uh, of the product. The notion that they know what our customer's uh, composition looks like, that's important for them. How cool would it be, like, one of your software engineers raises, raises their hand and says, you know, I think we should allocate resources over here because this is the revenue, like, the customer persona that's driving more revenue, right? Like, how awesome would that be if, like when they can act, when you distribute that information, it lets those sort of unique moments come up where they can be more valuable. So, you know, that's an important point that you make, right? Because very often um, the experts in their own field end up developing tunnel vision and they can't look outside of the, own, their, uh, the, the norm, 
right? They will continue to do the, do things the same exact way. But, you know, things and the environment and time changes around them. So to get feedback from somebody that's not directly in that uh, discipline, it's really important, right? For an engineer to come in and, and influence a salesperson, it's really important. Or for a salesperson to go in and influence an engineer from a, for, with a different viewpoint, that's really important. So this uh, cross-pollination of viewpoints is extremely important in a company, and which is what goes back to, I think, you know, having more of a flat. And so again, flat, it, it becomes hard from a management perspective, but certainly transparency should be maintained at all points uh, in a company's uh, journey. Uh, hopefully it makes sense. I, I wanna grab onto this real quick so we can get like the action item out of it. You mentioned that, that you do this and that it's important. I want to know, like, how do you tactically do this? Is this a quarterly letter that goes out? Like, how do you get this information out? You can't force uh, this down, right? You have to, it's, 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 for me, it's about lead by example. It has to start from the top, right from the CEO. Um, if, uh, the more transparent the CEO is, the more transparent the VP of marketing becomes, the more transparent the VP of engineering becomes. And, and so that just has to trickle down. And you can't uh, enforce this. Um, you, ha- you have to hire the right people and hope you're hiring transparent people and hope you're hiring people that uh, are going to, you know, follow that, that, that ideology that, you know, I'm not going to build a, uh, you know, it's not about secrecy or it's not about I'm running marketing and nobody's going to influence how I do things. And um, because you may not always have the right uh, answer, uh, you um, may be uh, looking at things too high over. Right, and so having that information come in from other parts of the organization will only be better. So to answer your question, I don't think a newsletter or anything like that. Um, certainly, that can't help. But um, I think the main thing is um, leading by example. Perfect. So you lead by example. You let people see you doing this. They know it's okay to do it, and then it just happens culturally within the organization. Absolutely. And, you know, okay. uh, part of that is also to be very transparent about the mistakes made too, right? You're not, we're, we're human beings. We're not going to do things all the time correctly. So having that um, openness about what worked and what didn't work is very important. And to communicate that openly to the company about, um, um, you know, hey, last quarter we tried this that didn't work or, you know, we really uh, hoped that this feature would be very meaningful, but we got feedback that, the feature needs some more work, right? And and having that open communication is uh, is the only thing that I think can make a company really, really successful. I agree. Open transparency. You don't want problems to be. You don't want a culture where problems are 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 hidden or shoved away. You want it to be something where like you, someone's having a problem. Let's bring it out in the open and get as many of our smart brains on it as possible and, and move forward. Exactly. I mean, hey, look, we're not perfect. And to, uh, to operate like we're perfect and we're flawless is uh, it, people are smart. And uh, I think anybody that, and hopefully people that you hire working, um, your colleagues in the company are smart and they'll see, they'll see that if you hire enough smart people, everybody's looking at the same thing the same way. Why are we uh, not calling it what it is? So if it's working, we'll say it's working. If it's not working, we'll collectively say it's not working, make the right decision and move on. Yeah, it enables swift, you know, th- it, it enables swift action taking, right? Because everybody is on the same page to take the next action. It's a lot less effort to communicate what action needs to be taken. People just kind of know what needs to be done. So let's say I'm going to be a hypothetical. 
uh, let's say one of your VPs of engineering or something of that, that, that level, someone closer to you, they come to you and they say, hey, uh, Gu, I'm trying to find ways to, to strengthen and build relationships and respect with, with my peers at my level. Like, what should I do? Yeah, you, you know, um, I, so again, if you have this notion that you're part of a team, as opposed to saying that, uh, again, you, because you said VP of engineering, let's go with that. You, you can't go in with the attitude that um, I'm the VP of engineering and nobody's going to tell me what, what to do within my organization. I, I control that. You automatically make it difficult to fill that peer-to-peer respect, right? As opposed to As opposed to going in and saying, look, we're all part of the same team. Um, um, even though you're uh, the VP of marketing, you have vested interest in making sure that the engineering team succeeds. Now, I may have the role that I'm VP of engineering because somebody has to actually do uh, some of the, the work, right? So, uh, and somebody has to have responsibility for engineering deliverables. But again, um, I respect what marketing says about what engineering needs to deliver because ultimately these things need to work together. Um, if you engineer something and marketing is not in sync, they won't be able to market it effectively. So to have marketing work more closely with engineering and to foster that kind of relationship, and if you do that genuinely, you'll notice that over time, you automatically have a mutual uh, a relationship where there's a tremendous amount of mutual respect. And so you help marketing and marketing helps you, and then it just looks like a well-oiled machine. That was a beautiful response. I love that. <laughs> It's it's so true. Now you you're very entrepreneurial, like I saw in your different businesses and different softwares about how, how you've grown uh, throughout your career, and you so you understand like how to you see something, fixate on it, to do what's necessary, to grab it, to be entrepreneurial, to be resourceful. How do you get your team to view problems through the eyes of an entrepreneur? Um, so I think, again, it just goes back to leading by example. And, and what you have to do is, um, again, when, when, you know, we're now at about, I guess, 90 people. So, um, you know, there's, um, I would hope, many, many entrepreneurs in this company. But when, you, when we start out, it's not about saying, hey, I'm, I'm the entrepreneur. Um, you know, this is uh, how I think the idea, uh, uh, this is the idea and this is how I think it needs to work. That, that's not, I don't think that's the approach. Um, the initial set of people that you work with or, or join the company, they're all entrepreneurs too. So you have to approach it by saying we're all entrepreneurs. We're in this together. We all win together or, or we don't, right? And so um, you have to be open to taking their feedback and how something needs to be built too. And hopefully you hired them because you respect their ability to make those decisions and not that they're here just to solve a spot problem. You're hiring um, entrepreneurs and everybody has that spirit. And I think as a leader, it's your job to open that up. They may not know that they're an entrepreneur, but they're an entrepreneur. And you can make them that and you can put them in that position. And you need them to be that because you alone will not have the bandwidth to carry the company. So you hire people and you have to mentor them to start thinking outside of the box. So if you hire an engineer, you have to make sure you mentor them that you're not just an engineer, you're a customer success person, you're a salesperson, and you're a marketing person. You're all of that. You have to write code, but you have to be able to market the code you're writing, you have to be able to sell the code you're writing, you have to be able to support the code you're writing. And I think 
the more you instill that into uh, all of your employees, you can, you can only build a company that succeeds then, right? I mean, you have a team of winners. You have a team of entrepreneurs that are all thinking like that. How can you not win? I love this. You're like, this is like really premium insight. What, what type of advice are you giving to your kids as, as your daughter's now entering the job market and doing an internship? What type of advice are you giving her? Honestly, the same, the, the same thing, right? Which is um, do the best job at anything you're going to do. Even if, first of all, you should approach something like, not that it's a job, that it's a passion. You have to have, it has to come from within. And um, if it's not, organic and if it's not coming from within uh, then you're 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 fighting against something and you're never going to do the best job right so first thing is to take a step back and find that thing that you really really want to do that you're really passionate about and when you start doing it approach it from the point of view that you that you can single-handedly fulfill all functions Right. Again, going back to I can build it, I can market it, I can support it, I, I myself can use it. You have to be able to at least at minimum role play all of those functions. And I think that is about, you know, um, doing things from I think from a entrepreneurial point of view. I, I, I certainly have that conversation with my daughter. Hopefully she uh, catches uh, that right? just by looking at other people in the company. Um, she sees that again at Portworks. I think everybody does operate that way, that I am going to talk to the customer. I'm going to understand what they're uh, saying so that, you know, every engineer certainly does this. And so she gets to see that. And, you know, look, there's many ways to build successful companies. Um, You've talked to a lot of those people. Um, I, I, for me, like, uh, I don't know of any other way other than being able to fulfill all Fun aspects of building and supporting and selling and marketing the product. Everybody needs to know that. I think this is this this is good. I fully agree, and I love the way that you painted that picture of I'm not just the engineer. I need to market, explain, support, sell my code. Like I really like that because it, what it does is it creates this ownership as a whole over what you're doing versus just like oh well, I just write the code, so don't talk to me about that. Like that mentality is dying out, and very excited about that being something that's going to be in the past in our industry and in, in, in the short future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's not just for software, right? I think for any successful product, it's like that. I think if you're to take, uh, you know, go to a restaurant, the best restaurants are where the chefs are really passionate about not just cooking the food, but eating it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what makes the best products is when people care and you can't fake that and money can't buy it. You just have to exactly. care. So, as, as we start to, to wrap up, we've, we've learned a lot about the background, technology. We've learned a little bit about how, what Portworks is. I, and we learned a whole lot about who you are as a person and the culture within the company because the culture stems from the founders and it's very clear what it's like over there. It sounds like an awesome place to work. And you've got an, an, a very energetic color of orange, which I really like too. It's not like too bright. It's, like an, it's a nice like tangerine orange. I like it. There's definitely people listening that are that are attracted to that and that are interested in that what would you say to those types of people do you have a career section on your website like what type of people are you looking for what type of roles are you looking for currently we do have a career section um you know we're looking in uh, for people in all aspects we're growing as a company um we're looking for people um in typically in the devops ecosystem whether it's marketing um tech marketing uh, uh, education 
definitely engineering. And the type of people we're looking for are really people that are passionate about, um, you know, modern software uh, architectures, people that are uh, really passionate about cloud native technologies. Um, again, whether it's marketing, sales, or engineering, we're looking for all of those aspects. We're also looking for people uh, globally, right? So we've grown uh, this 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 particular space, the cloud native space, has uh, grown uh, over the past four years very very like a hockey stick. And so we've benefited from that. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that as a company, we've very quickly grown geographically as well. Yeah, and you're passionate about this space. And I think if uh, you're looking for, um, you know, an open company that I guess follows some of the principles we've talked about, we'll be very happy to talk to you. Excellent. And the best way to do that would just be to go to portworks, P-O-R-T-W-O-R-X.com. Exactly. Yeah, just go there and uh, there's uh, links to the career section from there. And uh, also there's some interesting case studies that you can uh, look at and just kind of get a feel for uh, the company. And, and the, I think that kind of, if you look at some of the case studies, that uh, hopefully some of the things that I talked about are reflected in that. You know, we're, uh, one of the things as a company we're, re we're really passionate about is uh, making sure that our customers are successful with, with our product, right? So, uh, again, going back, we, we care about the user experience. We care about the the user success equally. So um, one of uh, one of the other principles of our company is, you're you're when you're building a product, it's not just about building the product and selling it. That's not where it ends. Your job actually ends when the customer is successful, and actually may never end here because making the customer successful will be a continual thing. So making sure that you're continually getting feedback from the customer and how they're using it and how can you make the product better and, and having that relationship with a customer is so important. So we, we tell our customers when I get on a phone with them that they're not our customer, they're our partner because um, it's a two-way street. We're going to help them with our product, but they're going to help us with feedback and help, help us make the product better. And we're there to support them throughout their journey. And so... I hope that also gets reflected on our website because if you go there, you'll see a lot of our customers are really, I, I would, uh, I, and, I'm, and I'm humbled to say this, but they are fans of our product because they're rooting for us. They want our product to be successful and they like talking about how our product helped them with their problem. And so that kind of, that's all goodness. That's all positiveness that um, I think energizes, keeps energizing everybody within our company, certainly. And, um, and I think that's an important element for anybody that's looking to build a company to foster that mentality. That was a surprise for me. Like when people, like customers started referring board members and friends and like, I felt like such a debt of gratitude because they're, they'll just email people and say, oh, you got to check this out or refer it. And I'm just like, what can I do for you? Like, I feel like I'm so grateful for you doing this. And then as I talked more and more and they, people were saying like, yeah, when you have a good product, people love it. They tell everyone, think about it. You tell everyone when you love a product, like orange shoes that you got or something like that. Right. Yeah, that, that, that definitely is, is it. And, and um, if you have that as one of your goals that you're going to build a product that uh, other people are going to be so awed by it, that they're going to go and talk about it and to other people, then, you know, you have to make that one of your goals because then you're going to, by definition, you're going to build a superior product because you're focused on what can I do to get this uh, person to go in and talk about uh, my product to other people. We certainly have those, right? A lot of our customers have come from, you know, referrals or people in the, in, you know, again, in our industry, enterprise software, 
as big as it is, it's actually still small. And so people are kind of close knit. And so we, we like to focus on that a lot too. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a good spot to, to end it because we're coming up on time and I want to respect the, uh, the three o'clock stop time. Awesome. Thank you very much, Joe. Have a fantastic day. Hey, you too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.